Good evening. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We are continuing through Matthew chapter 24, and this is a difficult, it's really not fair to split this chapter up, but just couldn't get through all of it last week. We ended in verse 22, but I need to recap some things as we're going through this chapter because it is something that is so prominent and presented in the area of the second coming of Christ, the kind of end times. There are so many thoughts on these words that it's easy to be overcome with a lot of ideas. Even as I was going through various commentaries, none of them agreed, which is always interesting. In some ways, it makes me feel good because now I've got freedom. Yeah, they're they're wrong and they're wrong. Here's my thought. No, um, they have good thoughts, and I'll share a lot of those with you. But there is so much that we bring into this conversation that will steer where it goes, depending on what you believe. And so last week I I set some boundaries, and I want to rehearse those boundaries again that we are going to keep inside, and it's important that we do. In verse 36 that we're going to get to, it says, But that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So there has to be an understanding that no one knows the day or hour. It's important to keep that in mind as we go through this chapter because what you are going to want to ask is, well, when's that going to happen? When is that day? When is that hour? Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Then they gathered around him, Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his, set by his own authority. So again, Jesus says, you're, you're not going to know the times or the dates. So don't try and figure them out, because what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to figure them out. I know you are, because I know I do. He's like, well, when is that? Is it now? You know, is this, is Obama the Antichrist? Wait, I thought Reagan was the Antichrist. No, it was Hitler. Who's the Antichrist? I got to know. Sorry, verse 48 and 50, it says, But suppose that the servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of. And so the boundaries are we don't know the day or the hour, but we do know with certainty that day is going to come. Okay, we're going to live there. We're going to live in this boundary. We don't know when, but we know it's going to happen. We don't want to become negligent. We don't want to be lazy. We don't want to ignore the fact that Jesus is going to return. And it's important we see the difference between the eminent return and the immediate return. It's going to happen. Might not happen right now, but it's going to happen. And so staying in this framework, we also set this stage and It was important because one of the things that the disciples asked after Jesus talked about all of Jerusalem being destroyed, 
And they said, when are these things going to happen that Jesus had just spoken about, about the temple, about you know all these beautiful buildings that they were showing him being laid waste? And one of the things that Jesus talked about was that destruction. And we spoke about how when Matthew is writing this book, this gospel, it takes place, the actual writing, somewhere between 80 and 90 A.D., Rome went into Jerusalem and laid waste to the city, destroying the temple, overturning all the stones, taking the gold that had burned from the fire. That took place in about 70 AD. So Matthew is writing, looking back to when Jesus spoke about these things, and he's looking past the actual event that happened. And we talked about how significant this event was. This wasn't just, oh yeah, you know, Rome came in and they just knocked over these buildings. There was a siege that took place. Over a million people died. 97,000 people were imprisoned, taken captive just because of this event. So this event of Rome coming in laying waste to the city, is prominent in this commentary here. It's prominent in this conversation. It is very much the focus. How could it not be? Imagine how we would talk about a million-plus people who died. I mean, think of when we talked about 9-11, 10 years afterwards, right? That We had memorials for the thousands of people who died. Imagine if it was millions and another 90,000 that were imprisoned and taken captive, that would leave an impression. And so some 10 plus years after this event, Matthew is writing, looking through this event and remembering what Jesus said about this event. And so that's prominent in a lot of the things that Jesus spoke about. The difficult thing is to know when is he talking about this event that took place around 70 AD, and when is he talking about the end of the age, the end of the world, the second coming? And that's where it's difficult, because it seems like this fits good over here, but now this one seems to fit good over here. And I shared with you last week that there were some commentaries would say, oh, this means this, and they would say, no, this is referring to the other point. And so that's left for us to decipher and look through these things, and that's what we're going to try to do tonight. And so Jesus is talking about the event that's going to happen. He talks about a lot of this turmoil that's going to take place. We talked about them not going back to get their stuff, but when they hear about this abomination that causes desolate to flee, we talked about how that could fit so perfectly with the event that was happening in Jerusalem at 70 AD because Rome did come in quickly and they did have to flee very quickly to run to the hills. And it was good that it wasn't on a Sabbath because then their religious rules would require that they couldn't flee as they did and pray it's not in the winter, you're not pregnant because it's going to be difficult for you. All those things would refer very clearly to that time when Rome would come in, lay waste to that. We, I, I won't go too much into it. We talked about that last week. We talked about the connection with Daniel and the potential in the future. So let's move forward. Otherwise, we'll get locked in. Verse, we'll start at verse 22 again and, and go through. If those days had not been cut short, 
No one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Remember, we talked about Titus being asked to leave and go somewhere else, and so he did leave that siege rather quickly. Um, But again, it could be something in the future as well. Verse 23, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. There, let's have fun with this little group of verses here. Um, this is very obviously could be something warning for those who lived in the time of destruction, at least the first few verses, 23, at that time. Which time? If he's talking about the destruction of Israel in 70 AD, at that time it would be really easy to say, if anyone says, look, here is the Messiah, I'm telling you, don't believe him. The Messiah is going to come and rescue you. Now's the time. You know how it is when things are, are difficult. Everyone says, the Lord's coming, right? Have you guys heard that? Like, oh, the economy's bad. Oh, the Lord's coming. Have you guys heard that? Does people say that? Am I the only one who hears that kind of thing? Okay. <laughs> I've got to change the people I hang out with or something. Okay. But that's common. When things get rough, everyone says, oh, the Lord's coming back. Why? Because things are so bad. He's got to come back. And again, we talked last week how it's kind of silly for us in the United States to think so much of this revolves around how bad things are for us when things have been worse for other people for centuries. And, you know, we're so, oh, it's so bad. Yeah, you know how much I have to pay for gas? Yeah, tell it to the lady who's walking with five gallons of water to five miles to get back to her home. Yeah, gas is expensive. Okay, I digress again. Uh, And so the idea is when things get bad, people are always wanting to say, oh, here's deliverance. The Lord is coming. Here he is. Oh, look at here. God is going to deliver in this way. And so it definitely could be a time where people would try and use those circumstances to bring people to themselves. It's always the case. Whenever things are difficult, people have the ability for some to just assert themselves and take advantage on other people's calamity. Something's going bad, I can make money. And it happens all the time. I'm going to use this to my advantage. And so there's definitely a portion of this that seems to fit with what happened in AD. But then there's this other portion where it talks about performing great signs and wonders. And we haven't seen that kind of a thing back at that time. There are always people who are saying that they have the ability to do great things. Throughout history, that's something that has happened. But he kind of gives this understanding and this clarity that, you know, if someone's going to say that I'm the Messiah, then it needs to be pretty spectacular because when I come back, it's going to be like lightning. You'll be able to see it. You'll be able to know it. It's going to have a broader scope. And so... There's lots of ideas on what this is and when it's referring to, but one thing is certain. Jesus, when he comes back, 
you're gonna know it. Don't be so ready to believe everything. You need to watch. In fact, that's going to be kind of one of the words that stays out through this. It's going to be the mindset. You need to be watching, just prepared. But don't give in. And we talked last week again how we're given to panic. We want to see something happen now, and so we escalate those kinds of things. I mean, we have more books on the end times than Jesus talked about the end times. We know more about the second coming than Jesus did, apparently, to the books that we have. And some people actually say that because Jesus said he didn't know, and so they say, well, we can know more because we're at a later stage. Some people think that. Um, so he goes on and he gives these things, and then he, he kind of says this last verse, wherever the, there is a carcass, there the vulture will gather. Kind of a, a graphic little picture there. What this means, again, there's a lot of ideas. Jerome, Calvin, a lot of others saw the carcass as referring to the death of Christ and the believers would gather. Adam Clark and a lot of others believe that the carcass refers to the Jews and the eagles were actually that of Rome coming there because the Romans even had the insignia on their uh, uniforms of an eagle and you can translate the word vulture and eagle to eagle. And so that was their idea that it could refer to the Israel, the Jews at that time with Rome coming in there, taking over. Uh, some translate it in that way. Um, others look at it as a very much current thing where now it is where the carcasses where there is going to be death and calamity. The vultures are going to gather. Some have even said it's going to be the Valley of Armageddon, and that's going to take place. Again, all these ideas of what it could be. So then, with all these things and with this unclarity, and, you know, I get upset sometimes when I listen to people and they're so clear. It bothers me because they talk as if they have it all figured out. And the reason it bothers me is because I listened to these people 10 years ago, and they had it all figured out 10 years ago, but it was different. And that bothers me. I like the people who say, I'm not really sure what this means. Maybe because I'm not really sure what it means, and it makes me feel better. Good, I'm with you. My point is, these things are here for us for a reason. Jesus said these things, and Matthew is penning them the way he did, when he did, for a reason, and it's for our benefit. What are some of your thoughts on these passages when it's talking about, you know, not looking for the Messiah here, there, and, and all the things that we just read in these few verses? What are some of the things that come to your mind, some thoughts, maybe even some emotions, as you hear Jesus' words about this? What does it spark in you guys? What if, I mean, the Messiah is definitely an, a Jewish thing. The Messiah, here's the Messiah, so that's definitely something connected to Israel. But, I mean, in a broader sense, um, it actually could refer to kind of a savior. Um, there's one passage where Luke actually, when he talks about the fig tree, Luke's gospel mentions other trees, which would seem to include Gentile nations. What about the idea of someone bringing some kind of salvation? Yeah, putting hope in a government or in a, a president or a man in a, a country in a political means. 
you know, here it is, that kind of idea. I mean, it seems that Jesus is telling us not to put false trust or fall, trust in false hopes. Don't believe it. It's not going to work out well. It's not true. Um, he also seems to want us to know that when the Son of Man comes, you'll know. Not going to mistake it. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be well-publicized kind of a thing. Everyone's going to know that this is the real deal. And so if it's going to be obvious, why do we keep trying to find the not-so-obvious? Why are we keep looking at all the little things that could maybe be pointing to something along those lines? Why do you think we do that? Want to be the one to discover it? Yeah, we want to, I mean, want to be the ones who, you know, can say, yes, Jesus returned. I mean, I've heard that so many times in my lifetime that we are the generation that Christ will return. You know, it's like, okay, that'd be cool. I'd like to see that. Maybe that's driving some of our searching, wanting to be that and, and looking for those things. Is there anything wrong with looking for the Lord to return? That seems to be what he's indicating. It's going to be powerful. There's nothing wrong with looking forward to the Lord returning. I mean, we're supposed to. Looking forward to that. I mean, he who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. I mean, it's something that we have hope in. And so we're not, you know, we are looking. We are desiring. It it is what we expect. It is our hope. And, And so there's nothing wrong with that. We just have to keep it in the right perspective. We don't want to become panicky or frantic or overzealous or overanxious or trying to put too much in it that isn't really there. We don't want to Y2K it every year. You know, here, here it is. No, here it is. Here it is. I mean, we, I heard studies on Y2K that were convincing, really good, why Jesus should be coming in this time and, and sold me. To some extent, and then I was, what year is it? Oh, it's been a while now, 12 years. Okay, so why 2012? You know, we don't want to be doing that every time. Um, But it is important for us to understand that we are looking forward to this. And there is a lot taking place. A lot has taken place and a lot will take place. And I think Jesus is constantly telling us to be vigilant to be watchful, and to be guarded, not to give in to everyone who says that, because people will use that to their advantage. goes on and he says in verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, And then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from all four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Here's another powerful verse. Now, these verses here are very apocalyptic. And... 
There's actually, it's reminiscent of a couple of passages in Joel. Joel chapter 2 verse 31 says, The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Uh, Joel 3 verse 15 says, The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. And we can easily imagine these kinds of things happening in our day and age. There's been a few times with the smog and those kinds of things where you look at the moon and it's just nice and red and it makes you go, ooh, <laughs> that's kind of cool. And it's kind of something reminiscent actually even in Revelation, you know, where it's going to talk about some of these things. And so we can picture these things, this darkness and this blood red moon taking place um, definitely does have that apocalyptic feel as well as the whole son of man coming in the clouds of heaven just like you were saying pat you know this magnificent spectacle and it's got this going to the four corners of the earth and gathering all the elect and so there's just something magnificent happening here. Now, remember this, and we're kind of reading into what we're going to talk about here. If Jesus didn't know when the day was going to come, and he said he didn't, Jesus said no one knows the day when that's going to happen. He's just telling, it's like he's taking snapshots this is a picture of what you're going to see. And this is a picture of what you're going to see. Well, when do those pictures take place? Well, I'm not sure, but this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And, and that's where we have the problem because we want the chronological order. I want to see the timeline. I want to see when these things happen. So when do we see you coming back like this? When is that moon going to turn blood red in the sun? When is that going to happen? Where does that fall in our timeline? And he doesn't tell us. And so he could be talking here about something that's over here. And later on, he's going to talk about something that's actually going to happen maybe recently in their time. And, and so we get confused because we look at these things and we want the chronology. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, now I see it. But Jesus doesn't know the time. And so he goes, well, this is going to happen. Oh, and this is going to happen. Don't be careful of this. And this is going to happen. And he gives us all these shots of what's going to happen, and I think he's doing it, again, to give us understanding, snapshot of what's happening, so that we can be mindful of what this is going to look like, that this is going to be a monumental task. When is it going to happen? I don't know. Could it happen soon? Yeah, sure. It seems like it. Could it happen 20 years from now? Yeah, it could happen sooner. It could happen later might not happen in my lifetime. Is that possible? Yeah, it is. But that's not the point of when. The point is, it's going to happen. Here's a snapshot. It's going to happen. A and we need to be mindful of these things. Because it says in verse 30, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. What is the sign of the Son of Man in heaven? Is it some visible sign? Or is it the Son of Man himself in heaven? I don't know. But there's going to be a sign of the Son of Man in heaven. It's something that's going to be standing out. And, and this is definitely referring to the consummation of the age. This is not something that happened in AD 70. This is something that is yet to come. We would have known if this had happened. It wouldn't have been a secret. They wouldn't have had it just in a couple of papers back in the Midwest somewhere. This is something that the whole world will know. 
like how I point out the Midwest. Yeah, I saw Jesus. He... <laughs> and so this is something that is going to happen. And it talks there, too, about this time of mourning where he, the angels with the loud trumpet call, they will gather the elect from the one earth to the heavens. In verse 32, now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get together tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so when is this talking about? This generation will not pass away. Learn the lesson from the fig tree. Uh, the fig tree, most people agree, represents Israel. Again, Luke's gospel adds all the trees, which would indicate other nations. But when he says all these things... Is he referring about the things at the end of the age? Is he referring about the things, the end of the age, as well as the destruction of Jerusalem? Is he referring to, back again, to the destruction of Jerusalem? Because you got some problems with this verse, depending on how you look at it. Because if he's referring to, this generation will not pass away. And a generation are all those who are born at the same time. And you can expand it to include all those living at a given time. So this generation, is he referring to the people he's talking to? If he is, then you've got a problem dealing with the end of the age things because they died. If by this generation he is referring to the people who are alive while this, you know, apocalyptic thing is happening, okay, then that might be able to work. If he's referring to the generation that he was actually talking to at the time that Matthew is referring to, well, then the destruction of Israel will actually work because that's something that they did see, and it works really well when you see that. And so you have to see, again, here are different places where this passage can refer to the people that are right there or the people he's talking to and what's going to happen at the end of the age. All these things have the possibility of being true. Which is it? Anyone know? <laughs> now, if I were to try and push a certain view, I could sell one of these pretty good. But the truth is, I'm not so certain. I believe that it's referring to those who were, are going to be living at the very end of that age. I think that's what he's talking about. But I'm not going to, you know, bet the farm on it, just to bring the Midwest back in. I, I think there is room for actually a, a dual prophecy here, those who were there at the time Jesus was speaking and those who will be there as a part of the end times. I think it can happen. It's happened before where prophecies referred to one group and then were fulfilled later on. It happened with Daniel. It happened. Uh, it can happen again. And so those are some things that we're looking forward to um, in those areas. Um, 
Okay, verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. What I want to ask then is, so why are you telling us this? Really, I'm serious. I'm not being flippant because he's telling us for a reason. So why are you telling us this? Something just, it echoes in my mind. If no one knows, why are you telling us? Because he's going to go on and, I believe, tell us why. Verse 37, as it is in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. And so Jesus is bringing about this idea. No one's going to know, but there's basically two different kinds of people. It's kind of interesting because right before this, he said, you know, when you look at the fig tree, you're going to know. But then he tells us no one's going to know. He's messing with us. No, he's trying to bring some things clear and he's keeping some things in a place where we just don't have the certainty that we desire to have. But one thing that is significant here is he gives this idea of no one knows the day or the hour, but as it was in the days of Noah. And he gives this illustration in the days of Noah, how people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. None of those things are bad. Eating's not bad. Drinking's not bad. Getting married's not bad. They're just normal. They're just things you do in life. You eat, you drink, you get married, you kind of carry on with life. But the point is, no one knew that the flood was going to come. No one knew or was expecting. No one was living with the understanding that there was going to be this flood that was going to wipe everything out. And I believe what Jesus is teaching us here is if we are not mindful of what we've been talking about throughout the Gospel of Matthew and just in our series, this beautiful mess, that the kingdom of heaven is a reality that's taking place. If we live our lives as if it's not there, and we have no desire to acknowledge the things of God in our life, it's just something that we don't really pay attention to. It's not a reality in our lives. We're just living as if this is all there is without this understanding of the kingdom of heaven and Christ returning and him setting up his kingdom. Then we too will be like them and know it. We're living as if we don't know that it's there. And so the idea is that there's these kind of people, those who are aware and know the flood's coming, The end of time is coming. The Son of God is going to establish his kingdom. This is a reality that's going to take place, and there are those who don't. And one will be taken and be a part of that kingdom, and one won't. 
One will be walking around and one will be taken, the other won't. And now this idea of being taken, a lot of people go into depths to what this means. You know, they, they say it's the rapture, it's being taken. There's just a lot of issues to deal with because now this is happening after this great appearing from the ends of the earth and everyone's seeing Jesus about that day and hour no one knows that he just talked about when he, everything is going to come to an end. But now these people are going to be taken, so is it going to happen afterwards or what? Or maybe he's just giving a little kind of proverbial saying that, listen, those who believe, they're going to be a part of it, and those who don't, aren't. Maybe that's all he was saying. And maybe I don't have to try and find other scriptures to try and validate this one. There might be some that do. There's definitely references from Daniel, references from Joel, references in Revelation that all are about these things. Um, but sometimes I think we try and piece more than might really be there. But anyway, there's definitely this understanding that those are, there are some people aware of the kingdom and there are some people that aren't. There's some people who are going to be a part of it and some people who aren't. I think we can draw that conclusion pretty readily. Any thoughts on these verses? Any insights that anyone would like to give? Oh, sure, make me talk about it. Well, let's keep going on because I think now Jesus is going to start giving us what he's really wanting to bring home to our own hearts here. Verse 42, therefore keep watch. I think you should underline that. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house, let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So he tells us a couple things. He says, therefore, keep watch. And he says, you also must be ready. Keep watch and be ready. What does he mean, you must always be ready? What does he mean by you must be ready? Sounds like he wants us to be... Well, is that what he's asking? Is he asking us to be paranoid? And I think those are kind of two of the prospects that you get. People think, oh, no. It's going to happen. I got to be ready. I got to stockpile, be paranoid. And then there are people who say, you know what? I'm going to live my life in a way that honors God. And then I don't have to worry about when he comes because I'm living that life. I'm walking in the way that I should walk. And so that's what I'm doing by being ready. I'm just living that life. And I really think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about living a genuine life. Not living, okay, I'm going to, you know, act good for a while, but then, yeah, I'm tired. I'm not going to be a good, I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I'm just going to do my own thing. Is that being ready? Well, he's going to go on and give us a little, another kind of little story, a parable about those things. But I think always be ready has to do with being mindful of this kingdom, like we've been talking about on Sundays. Is the kingdom of heaven a reality in your life? Couple hands, good. You know, and, and let's face it, there are probably a lot of opportunities for us to 
die <laughs> before the Son of Man comes, whether it's in a car accident, whether it's heart attack, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever. It's not like this is the only thing that's going to happen and we need to be ready. We can breathe our last breath at any time. We, when calamity comes, when, when difficulties come, they never warn you. It never, you never find out, you know, oh, there's going to be a car accident, uh, so make sure your seatbelt's on. And drive slower so it's not as serious an accident. You don't know those things. When it happens, it's the car that runs the red light and you weren't aware it was going to happen and it just happens. Living ready is keeping the seatbelt on. It's living a life that is connected to God, that's connected to the kingdom of God all the time. Living understanding this, just like it was in the days of Noah. Some didn't believe it was going to ever happen. I'm never going to meet my maker. I'm never going to have to give account for my life. It doesn't matter. And there's some that believe, no, you will. And there's those two kinds of people. And I believe when he says, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect it. Well, yeah, the end of the age will come, but maybe he's just going to come for you at a time when you don't expect it. I think living ready has to do with being mindful of the kingdom that we belong to or not. Do we belong to it or not? Are you ready? If he comes for you, will you be ready? And I think it's a good question. I think it's a question that's meant to make us uneasy. I think it's a question that is meant to push in at the core of who we are and say, are you really a believer that I am the Christ or not? Is this something that is real in your life that influences, shapes, and directs your conduct or not. And he is saying these things to push that upon our thoughts and our conscience and our conduct. Because there are a lot of people who think, I'm a Christian. I go to church and I do these things, but then, you know, come weekend they live like hell. And then the thought is, well, I hope the Lord doesn't come on the weekend. Okay, because then I'm in trouble. But if he comes on Sunday, I'm good. Or if he comes when I'm doing my good deed, I'm, I'm going to go. And you see, we start living this duplicity. And that's why he says, you don't know. But when you don't expect it, that's when it's going to happen. So you just have to live legit all the time. And if you think, well, no, I'm just going to play the Christian thing, you know, Sunday through Thursday, but come Friday and Saturday, I'm going to live the other life. I think that's what he's talking about, living that kind of, I'm not really there, not really attached to this kingdom, and he's really testing the core of what we believe. I think he's pushing that upon us.
um, verse 45, he kind of goes on and he says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Here's a little parable. Whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, final warning. Again, Jesus trying to give us this illustration as clearly as he can. He is trying to make a point that we cannot wiggle out of. If you believe that it's not really going to happen, this isn't legit, this isn't real, then what will happen is it won't influence you. If you're not connected to the king, you're going to live how you want. If your master isn't someone who is actually there, a part of your life, is not returning in your mind, oh, he was supposed to come a long time ago, he's not coming, I can do whatever I want, I can live however I want, then he's saying, when you least expect it, he's coming back. But the person who is aware of his master, who knows he's there, who knows he's going to come back, and and takes care of the things Like you were saying, Jenny, he's doing the things, fulfilling the Great Commission, working the things that God would have us to do. When he comes back, oh, he's going to bless them even more. And so, again, he is challenging us, what do you really believe? Am I real to you? Is my kingdom real to you? Do you believe that it's showing up, that it is going to be established or not? Because if you don't, then you are going to do what you want. And he's warning us, that day will come. The master will come when you least expect it. And if you've been living like you are not a part of the kingdom, then you're going to be cut, separated, and find your place with the hypocrites. There will be weeping, gnashing of teeth. It's not a good picture. It's judgment. It's warning of judgment. We talked about that Sunday, how at the end of the mess, there is final judgment when God is going to make things right. And God doesn't settle all his debts at one time, but he does settle them all. We are all accountable for the things that we do. We can either bear that burden or entrust that burden to Jesus. And that's being a good servant. That is living how he wants us to live, living under his grace, walking in his ways, honoring him with our lives. When he comes, great. That's a good thing. You know, my kids, when I was at work, if they 
were doing well that day, playing, doing good things. When I came home, yay, dad's home. If they had given mom a real hard time and she had to say, wait till your dad gets home, guess what? When dad comes home, it's not, yay, dad's home. It's go hide because <laughs> dad's home. See, dad's coming home. How are you living? Is it yay or is it run for cover? And I believe it's the same thing. If a holy God is going to set things right and establish his kingdom, where do you and I fit in with that kingdom? Will we be, yes, it's here, I'm so glad, or will we be, oh no, I wasn't expecting that. And I believe that that's what Jesus is really trying to bring about here. We keep wanting a date, we keep wanting a time, we keep wanting to make it fit into this place, and I think we can miss the message of what he's trying to say, is are you living a life that is expecting the master? expecting the king? Are you living a life that's connected to the kingdom? Do you see it as a reality, just like Noah saw the flood as a reality, and so he built the ark? Or are you just, no, I'm living my life, I'm doing my thing, and one day it will happen, and it happens to us all. We want to know, when's the day, when's the day? Well, maybe it's today, or maybe in like this little story that he gives when you least expect it, he's going to come. And so, some things to think about. Any thoughts on this chapter or these words? Um, part of it is, part of it's from First Thessalonians. Um, it's kind of taken from some different passages of scripture where they they paint it as, okay, um, God has not called us to wrath, and so the tribulation is the wrath of God, so he's going to deliver us from the wrath. You know, what, what troubles me about the rapture thinking is it's very, it's very selfish thinking. At least it comes across to me. And I'm not saying it's not true. I, I really don't know. I, I'm a little ambiguous in these things purposely, I think, in, in my to my neglect, but um, what bothers me about the rapture thinking is, especially us in the United States, in the Western world, we see the great tribulation, we think, oh no, God's going to take us from this place where there's all kinds of difficulty and, and hurting, but you know, there are places in the world where people are going through some incredible tribulation already, where Christians have been burned to death, Christians have been starved to death, where Christians have uh, just gone undergone incredible persecution. Does it mean God didn't love them? You know, the wrath that came on them, well, it wasn't God's wrath, that was the wrath of man. But we keep wanting to escape the hardship. And I think sometimes that's the underlying thing. How do we get out of the bad stuff? And sometimes bad stuff happens, you know, and... I don't know that God's there to just take us out of the bad stuff. There are some passages that seem to indicate that there, you know, if we're coming back with him, how did we get with him? You know, we must have been there. Or are those just those who have died and preceded us, like First Thessalonians talks about? 
First um, Thessalonians does talk about, you know, we will be caught up with him. And so people think that word caught up has to do with the idea of the rapture. Um, others don't. Um, one of the things that's troubling is why is Jesus and Paul warning us about all the things to look for during the tribulation? Like, why do we need to know what the Antichrist is going to be like if we're not going to be here? But he keeps telling us in these things, he kind of warns us about the Antichrist, but we're not supposed to be here when the Antichrist is there. So why is he telling us to be aware of what it's going to be like if we're not supposed to be? See, I ask questions like that, and I don't know the answers for those things. And so I, I just wonder. I don't know. But if I'm living just to escape, I think my goal is wrong. You know what I mean? I, I think something's wrong. If I'm just, okay, I just, I'm not going to be here. Sorry for all you people. You need to get out. I'm going to make a bunch of movies. And, you know, hopefully you'll be afraid enough to, to jump in and you can escape too. Um, I don't know if that's the best motive. Sometimes I think that tends to be our motive. I just don't know. I know that's might be shocking to some of you, but I don't know. <laughs> Those words are funny. Are you convinced there may not? <laughs> I'm not convinced that there's going to be. I'm not 100% convinced. Yeah, it, it might not be. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be selfish because if you care about the people and want them, you know, to escape God's judgment, then yeah, it's not selfish. Um, it really, I guess, would depend on the person, how they're feeling about those things. Uh, I think there's a reason it's not clear. I don't think it was meant to be clear. I, I think there's a lot of reading into things, and I'm not sure the motivation of the reading into those things. I think sometimes the motivation is deliverance and freedom. Sometimes, not all the time, but the words of Jesus, no one knows the day or hour, you know, no one knows the time. It's not for you to know the times or why does he say that? And then we want to know, well, do we get to get out of it? You see what I'm saying? It's like, it almost seems like he says, don't, don't think about it. Oh, there's going to be a time. It's going to be bad, but you don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know why he says that. I mean, the yeah, the scripture, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So they're still going to be here, and they're still going to have to go through those things. You know, the prophecies are never clear until after they happen. I'm not saying there isn't going to be a rapture. I'm just not positive. There are a few questions in my mind that make me say, what about this? Like I mentioned, like, why is he warning them to be aware of when the Antichrist comes? Why would he tell Christians to be aware of this is the signs of the Antichrist if we're not supposed to be here when the Antichrist comes? But he's telling the church that, it seems, in Thessalonians. I think it's important to remember that our hope is Christ, not the rapture. You know, that our, our hope is in Jesus, not that we're going to escape that deliverance. It doesn't mean we're not going to escape. Again, I, I don't know. But I do have some questions. Some of the passages, it seems like, well, it seems like we're still here. He's warning, it seems, us, the church, about what's going to be happening. So maybe we're, we're going to be there during that time. I don't know. I just don't know. And again, I think it's, 
you know, when we start thinking, oh, no, that's going to be terrible, that's going to be terrible, that's going to be terrible, the church has lived through terrible. And it still does, and it still survives, and it still does strong. I mean, the church in China had suffered incredible persecution and has just flourished. I mean, families being torn apart, people, you know, being imprisoned, uh, left for dead. I mean, it happens all over the world. Christians being burned alive, fed to lions. All these things have happened, and God is with them, and God has not neglected them, and God has not abandoned them. And it's not like they should... What if those Christians would have known, okay, you know, there is going to be... I mean, Jesus did tell them, there's going to be incredible persecution. And so those Christians who are in, you know, whether it's in the Sudan or who are in Rome or wherever, okay, in the next seven years, there's going to be incredible tribulation. You are going to be burned alive. You are going to be nailed to crosses. You're going to be fed to lions. This is going to happen to you. What would they do? Oh, no. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I mean, Jesus said there was going to be persecution. There was going to be these things. They still lived and glorified God with their lives. The, the tribulation didn't stop their witness. They still were their witness. Now, again, that was the persecution of man. The argument is, well, this is the judgment of God. It's different. Um, you know, and, and I know in my mind, I've always heard, well, this is going to be worse. It's the great tribulation. I don't know how much worse being burned alive can be. I'm serious. I know it's going to be bad. I, I know I've read Revelation and I know how bad these things look and the plagues and, and all this. And, and I can just imagine. But I'm telling you, people have gone through these kinds of things. People have been persecuted in tremendous ways, have suffered tremendous things. Not exactly like it's taking place in Revelation, not exactly like the tribulation, but I mean, let's face it, being burned alive isn't a good thing. Being fed to an animal while you're alive is not a, a good thing. Being dismembered. All, I mean, we can go on and be descriptive, seeing the things that have happened, watching your children die, watching these things, horrific things. People have gone through and still maintained a witness for Christ. And, and sometimes I think God has used those kinds of things to elevate the truth of those people and the hope they have in spite of the things that are there. That's one interpretation of a verse that I'm not sure means that. I'm not sure I'm saying anything. I'm more not saying things, but... <laughs> well, if there is no Spirit of God, yeah, that, that could be a, a bad thing. Um, again, I, I'm not trying to get too much into the whole idea of the rapture. There is a passage where it says, you know, there, it's alluded to that when the followers of Christ leave, that the Spirit of God leaves with them, okay? Just like there are passages here that have been used to present one way, I don't know that they're always as clear as they've been presented. Again, I confess that I'm a little jaded because I feel like I've been lied to in some ways. And I, I have to guard that because I don't want to swing the other way and say, well, then they're all wrong and I'm going to find another camp to go put my tent in. I'm not camped in the post-trib tent. 
I'm really not. I'm just unsure of these things, and I don't know that my certainty matters. How certain do I have to be? And, and I'm not going to you know, say I'm certain if I'm not. I'm not uncertain. I just don't know. I have questions. I, I've shared some of those questions. I don't, I don't think all of the interpretations have been um, truthful to the text of Scripture, some of them. Just like when we went through here and I talked about the event of you know, what happened in Jerusalem. I think a lot of that gets underplayed when you start talking about the end of the world and how prominent that, I think, is in chapter 24 because it was a horrific event. We're talking about almost 2 million people affected tremendously by what happened there. I think that played a big role in how Matthew penned this through that lens of what happened. And so there are a lot of these things I said, well, that really looks like it probably applies to what happened in Jerusalem and not necessarily the rapture of the church. You see what I'm saying? And, and so I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just not sold, and I don't think I have to be sold. I, I don't think it's, it's that big of a deal. I know it's been made a big deal. I know I couldn't be a part of certain non-denominational places if I wasn't, but I don't think that's the key, is whether I'm sold on a pre- or post-rapture. I, I think... The key and the focus is Jesus. He's my hope, not the rapture. The rapture, like you said, if it happens, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm good. I'm happy. If it happens, I'm, I'm good to go. You know, I, I, I want to be there. I want to live so that if it happens, I'm fine. I also want to live so that if it doesn't happen, I'm not freaked out. Or if I have to live through maybe not the great tribulation, but just some tribulation, I'm okay because I'm connected to the source of life and I'm not moved by those things. So I'm not saying there is no tribulation or, I mean, no rapture. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen. I just don't know. I'm not clear on some of these passages that I were before. There are some that, yeah, if we're coming back with the Lord, seems like there would be some significance. There's the whole Daniel prophecy about when Jesus comes into the temple that would be known. And so there seems to be this first appearing of the Lord, which was known. And there's another one that isn't known. Um, you know, the, there's the idea of when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, then you would know, you know, from that point on when the end of the age is supposed to be. Um, there are a lot of ideas out there that are interesting. I'm not sure exactly how much I'm buying into all of them. The ones I've looked at and studied, I still have questions. That's all. The earthquakes, I mean, there's some things going to happen where you're going to say, okay, it's going to be happening now. You know, something's big here. Uh, this is going on. Revelation talks about a couple of earthquakes that you'll know, you know, Hey, where's Hawaii? It's gone. You know, the islands are all leveled. I mean, those kinds of things, are you're going to know you're in it um, if you were here. My whole point wasn't to get into the rapture, though. Um, <laughs> and, and again, the reason is because I feel it can take the focus off of what the point is here in these passages. The point of this passage isn't the rapture. The point of these passages is our relationship with Jesus being one that is 
uh, connected and is vibrant and is looking forward to our Lord. Um, I'm looking for Jesus, not the rapture. And I think there's a big difference, and it's an important difference. Any other thoughts? <laughs> well, let's pray. Father, I feel so inadequate in looking at these passages, and the more I read, the less I feel as far as being adequate. The more I study, the more I see different views on different sides of the aisle from people who, who read and understand the original language. I, Lord, see so many things in here that just make me wonder what... What are you saying and, and what are you trying to tell me? What would these words mean to the common people who would just pick up the book of Matthew alone and have it for a guidance? What are they supposed to get from these passages? And Lord, I believe that I have been struck by you and, and a lot of these things and what you are trying to press towards me. Lord, that you are coming back, that your kingdom is going to be established, that it is going to be a reality that cannot be ignored. And Father, that day is going to come, and I desire that day to come. And Lord, I look forward to being that servant who is doing what you asked me to do, and when you return, you would say to me, well done, good faithful servant, and you would invite me into your rest. And Lord, I pray that we would all be motivated to live lives that honor you, that live for you, that are making the kingdom of heaven a reality by how we live until you establish it here on earth. Lord, we're not bringing in your kingdom. You're going to bring it in fully. We are part of it. We are glimpses of it. Help us to be good examples. Help us to live lives that honor you. And Lord, I pray all the confusion that I have maybe brought about in just this last few studies would be clarified in the hearts of everyone here that your spirit would work these things out, Father, and, and Lord, that they would have confidence in you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them as they go again. Allow your spirit to minister, I pray. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.